If you have a Bible, I hope you do, open it, if you would, to Mark chapter 2. At this point in our history, here's something the internet has done that is good. You can have at your fingertips 300 translations instantaneously. So, And if you're joining us and you are visiting, welcome. We are glad to have you. You can fill out the visitor card attached to your bulletin. We'd love to talk to you about our church. Um, But if you're visiting and haven't been here, we are going through the book of Mark. And we are at the stage where um, Jesus is... I'm still in James. I should probably go to Mark. We're at the stage where Jesus is starting to stir up trouble by doing things and saying things that people are not ready for, which is going to sum up his entire life and ministry. So we're going to read with Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 22, and then after we read that, we're going to pray and we are going to dive in. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? Your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine in the old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We ask that you would bless it. We ask, God, that you would make it relevant and real. God, we pray that the eternal truths that are here would spring to life in our life. God, help me to communicate this the way that I should. And Lord, again, anybody, callous, cold, distant, far away, struggling, God, put a strange fire in their heart, like John Wesley said, that his heart was strangely warmed. God, we pray you would do that today by the power of your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me clarify what I said there. I said strange fire. That's something from the Old Testament. I didn't mean weird. I meant uh, what John Wesley said, which was, I wasn't expecting my heart to come alive. Just wanted to clarify that, because the sermon does go on the internet, and somebody will say, strange fire's bad. So anyway, just wanted to say that. Praise the Lord. Okay. How many of you heard uh, different sermons? I think we all have about the new wineskins, the old wineskins, the unshrunk piece of garment and the cloth and all of that, and it's kind of this confusing section because the section is about fasting. You guys have heard sermons on this before. Somebody, somewhere, Sunday school lessons? Nobody? Okay, it's okay. Interesting. Well, we'll just see see what happens. Let's, let's go in with uh, verse 18. Jesus, at this point, is starting to be criticized. He's starting to be criticized, uh, apparently, because he's attracting attention. You can heal paralyzed people, you can't heal lepers, and you can't cast out a bunch of demons and not draw attention to yourself. So we're in chapter 2, and Jesus is already established in Capernaum 
in this area around the lake of uh, the Sea of Galilee, he's already established that wherever he goes, stuff happens. Wherever he goes. And so people are now coming to him. His, his fame is spreading throughout the region. And criticism starts to happen. Now that could be its own special little sermon. Just set it off to the side. That whenever you're going to live for God, there's going to be criticism. But that's not the sermon today. The criticism is kind of a... It's what, it's what I would call a neutral criticism, maybe. Maybe not. Because they're simply trying to figure out why Jesus' disciples, who are following this miracle worker, they are not fasting. What is wrong with you? That, that's what they're saying. Why do the Pharisees' disciples fast? And why do John the Baptist's disciples fast? But your guys, they don't fast. In fact, you're eating with tax collectors and having feasts. You're eating with sinners. You keep eating. You keep drinking. Later, Jesus gets accused of being an alcoholic. You guys know this, right? A wine bibber is the uh, King James. It's a great, it's a great word if you would like to use it in uh, casual conversation to call somebody a wine bibber. But um, Jesus was accused of that because he was in a celebratory fashion eating and drinking on a regular basis with people that according to the Jewish custom he shouldn't have been eating with or drinking with. So they're, they're confused as to this non-pious sounding and looking group of disciples following Jesus because by golly, they're fasting. Why aren't you? Let's get a little background about fasting from the Old Testament to give you the context, the Jewish context, behind their their question. In the Old Testament, you are going to find one single day out of the year where a command was given the fast, and that was the Day of Atonement. The very special day of atonement for all the sins of Israel. It is a day, and if you read, you, you don't have to, you can take this home as homework, Leviticus chapter 16, You can read it. It's all about the Day of Atonement. There are several verses in the Old Testament that really deal with it. And the Day of Atonement was a day of affliction and sorrow and repentance as all the nation's sins were being dealt with through that special provision in the Day of Atonement. That was the only day that was required for you to fast. But there were other fasts that they did. In fact, just so you can get the flavor, uh, Daryl, we're going to go to Zechariah chapter 8. And if you would like to go with me to Zechariah, which is in your Old Testament. It's really close to the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 8. This is what the prophet said in verse 18. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore love, truth, and peace. So he just listed four months out of the year, the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, and the tenth. And he says these are going to turn into or be fast of joy 
uh, and seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Why is he saying that? Because these fasts were not cheerful and they were not happy occasions. These fasts were meant to, and they were not commanded, but they grew up out of a tradition, and some traditions are not bad. You guys know that, right? So they have a tradition that they begin to remember the destruction of uh, the temple. And the, so the fourth month, the fast com, com, commemorated uh, the fall of the walls of Jerusalem. And the fifth month, that um, marks the date that the fall of Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar. In the seventh month, the date of Gedaliah's death. And in the tenth month, they're uh, remembering Nebuchadnezzar, how he began his siege of Jerusalem in the tenth month. So every one of this is not the kind of thing that I would be remembering. And they're not celebrating, they're mourning. So it would be like you saying, the day that Uncle Jimmy died, we're going to set that aside as a family, and we're going to remember it by mourning and fasting. Except it was the whole nation that's doing it, and the whole nation is doing it to remember where terrible things happen. And they're also, in a sense, remembering that even though these things happened, that God is still with them and carrying them through. But they remember in a mournful, sorrowful sense. So in the Old Testament, the fasts that they did were closely associated with sin, repentance, sorrow, and the affliction of the soul in remembrance of sad events. Is everybody getting the vibe of what fasting was like? Now, that's not the only fasting, and I don't want to make this an exhaustive thing on fasting because there's Daniel fasted a certain way. Uh, he, he fasted in terms of only eating vegetables. Later on, he was 21 days in prayer and fasting uh, as, as a, message was, a messenger was sent to him from heaven. There's all kinds of Esther fasted over the nation. There's all kinds of different fasts mentioned, but the Jewish religion, Judaism, had at its core the kind of fasting that in Mark chapter 2 that the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees had questions, why aren't your disciples honoring these traditions and why aren't they a little more spiritual, Jesus? Now, the Pharisees, just so you know, they kicked it up a notch, and they said, and you can read this in Luke chapter 18, they said that they're going to fast, and they're going to do it, uh, I believe it's every Tuesday, and, or every Monday and Thursday. So the Pharisees, out of a seven-day week, fasted two of those days. And the reason that they did it was so that you would know that they did it. Does that make sense? If you don't believe me, now nobody be offended, I'm not on Instagram, so nobody can accuse me of looking at Instagram and coming up with this. I have not been on Facebook in a long time, praise the Lord, it has been a cleansing of the soul, it's been, I can't even tell you how wonderful it is. I got rid of Twitter, same thing. In fact, I've almost totally disengaged entirely from social media, and I feel like I may be a better person as a result. That's just my own little miniature sermon. Uh, it's me, I'm not telling you to do that, I'm just saying that's me. But on Instagram, um, 
Oh, Lord, should I even say this? Um, the Pharisees wanted people to see how spiritual they were. Is there any place in social media that allows for people to trumpet their spirituality? Uh, now listen, people trumpet their workouts all the time, right? Like, uh, I, I you know, just crush that workout or whatever. That's me remembering Facebook or uh, remembering Twitter and taking pictures of themselves in their tank tops, flexing, right? Anybody, you guys know what I'm talking about? They want you to know not only had they worked out, but I would like for you to notice the results of the workout, right? And so, so that's that's one thing that people do, or or they're on a diet and they do that, or maybe when they're reading the Bible, they do that. Let people know I'm reading the Bible. I want people to know. I kind of want people to see this picture of me spiritual. I want people to know. Now, listen, if you've done any of those things, I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying that is some sort of cardinal sin of some sort. What I'm saying is, is that the Pharisees did not have the benefit of Instagram. What they had the benefit of was disfiguring their face and walking around on Monday like this because they hadn't eaten all day. I'm super spiritual and you know it and I know it and I want you to know because I saw you eating in the marketplace that you're not as spiritual as me. That's what the Pharisees wanted. That is what religion always wants. Religion loves recognition. Humility seeks to do good things in private. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But Pharisees love the recognition that they are spiritual. Everybody's following me, right? The, the Social media has just made it easy for all of us to allow our inner Pharisee out a little bit uh, just to let everybody know, I was reading the Bible, I was praying, and uh, and that's what the Pharisees were doing. John the John the Baptist disciples, a little different. They're following a guy who has one message, and his message is repent, right? And he said it probably like that. I would love to have seen John the Baptist. He probably was not comfortable to listen to at all. All of his sermons were lathered in sandpaper. When Even when Pharisees came out asking what appear to be sincere questions, John the Baptist says, Who warned you about the judgment to come? The axe is laid to the root of the tree. I'm talking to you. You're going to die. I mean, he was an interesting guy. But John the Baptist was constantly preaching, preparing the way, repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. And Jesus said, it's here. And his disciples were fasting. So they were confused because they were in this mindset of the kingdom is coming, the Messiah is coming, God's coming, we got to get ready, we got to get ready, we got to get ready, we got to be ready. And it's this future tense looking forward. Where's it at? And then the Pharisees are over here, pious, religious, important. Everybody knows what we do, everybody sees how important we are, they want to know, if you're so special, Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? We're doing it twice a week. What are you doing? And Jesus says, I was in Matthew, Jesus says, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? 
As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So let's understand a Jewish wedding. A little different than our weddings. 30 minutes, a poem, a prayer, a two-hour reception, and you are glad that it's over. Can I get an amen? Right? Sometimes you get a wedding invitation and you say, Dear God, please, do I have to go to this one? And you try to figure out ways out. Am I? I'm not, okay, I'm just trying to... Nobody's wedding in here anybody's ever felt that way about, right? None of your family members, you get, a, you get something from your nephew in Wisconsin or wherever. Anyway, I'm just trying to be real this morning. That is not the way Jewish weddings were done. If you were getting married, your minimum length of a reception was a week. This was a week-long party. This was serious business. That's why Jesus' first miracle was turning the water into wine, where? At a wedding feast. They had run out of wine because they were drinking for a week. I don't know how expensive that was, but getting married was expensive. It was a big deal. There was a bride price. There was a big cultural element going on, and it was a celebration. There was drinking and eating and dancing. They, it probably created other marriages. No, that's, that's not true. Um, it, um, it's just because those marriages were arranged. But when you got together at a Jewish wedding, it was a big deal. It lasted a week. It was a celebration. And Jesus is saying, would anybody fast during a wedding feast? Well, it would be unthinkable. It would be an insult to the bride and the groom, that you come in all pious and holy. Just want everybody to know, I showed up at the wedding feast, but I'm not eating a single thing or drinking anything because I'm fasting because of my holiness. That is not what you would do. You would go to the wedding feast of a family member, a close friend, a close relative, uh, and you would celebrate with them for a week. Jesus says, the bridegroom is here. They cannot fast. I'm here. I'm here. That's what G Jesus is saying. Now, in the Old Testament, there is not a direct correlation between the Messiah and the bridegroom, but there is a correlation in multiple places where God is the bridegroom of Israel. Now, he's not... In retrospect, the, Mark is writing this years after the, after the crucifixion. They're looking back on moments like this going, oh my gosh, he was saying it there. Now, Jesus is going to say some things that cause the Pharisees to want to kill him here in the very next chapter. But he was already saying things. He was throwing out breadcrumbs and hints early in his ministry. Here is one of those breadcrumbs where he says, the bridegroom is here. There is no way that they can fast when the bridegroom is here for the bride. They can't fast. I love that he says, not that they won't, they can't. We are, there is a celebration. If you remember back to Mark chapter 1, verse 14, you don't have to turn, turn there, but Jesus said, began to preach after he was baptized, the kingdom of God is at hand. 
repent and believe the gospel. That was Jesus' message. He was saying, and I've said this before, He was saying, I am the representation of the arrival of the kingdom of God. John the Baptist was pointing towards that, preparing the way, and then Jesus steps right in and says, I'm here. John disciples were fasting in preparation for the coming kingdom. Pharisees are mechanical and religious. They want to be recognized. Jesus says, the kingdom's here. Can't fast. If you want to look at it this way, it is a unique moment for three years. Can we allow God to be unique for three years? There was a unique period of human history There's an old album by Zao, and in the liner notes, it says, a throne in heaven sat empty for 33 years. It's a poetic thought. Three of those years in the ministry of Jesus was the kingdom, the Son of God, in the flesh, among His people, declaring the kingdom, representing what God intended And drawing all men to himself, leading up to the cross, can't fast. Not during that period. I'm going to skip verse 20, okay? Because we're going to come back to verse 20. Verse 20 says, there's a day coming when the bridegroom is leaving. Then they will fast. So we're going to come back to verse 20. Because then Jesus says, right on the tail end of being as answering the question about fasting, and that can't fast while the bridegroom's here, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. So you got a hole, you get a patch to fit the hole, but it's not been shrunk, it's not pre-shrunk, there's no Walmart you go, really, we would just go buy a new pair of jeans, right? Uh, but they, they fixed things in these days. You had to shrink it before you sewed it on, because if you don't, when you wash it, it's going to shrink and then tear it worse than when you first did it. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't take something new and patch it on to something old. Then he says, keeping the same metaphor, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. The wine is destroyed. So are the skins. The new wine is for fresh wineskins. They used primarily goat. Super exciting to drink wine out of goat skin. I'm sure. I've not done it yet. I'd like to try. Uh, But uh, goat skin, and the idea was the fermentation process, the gases are released, it stretches out that goat skin, And it's a bag that's kind of a, well, it's a leather goat bag filled with fermented wine. Uh, It's lovely, especially this time of year. So um, that's what what it was. And, And then it would shrink back to a normal shape, but they never put new wine back in that wineskin. Because if you did, it would try to re-expand, and it's already done that once. It's not going to do it again. You you reuse the wineskin 
with wine that's already been fermented, not new wine that has to go through the fermentation process. Everybody following? Jesus is simply saying, you guys know how this works. We're not going to blow up the goat skin. That thing's probably hard to make and expensive. Uh, so we're going to keep that wine skin by using it the proper way. The point Jesus is making is, you can't take something new and slap it on the something old. Because something new is here. And new ways of thinking and new ways of understanding have got to happen for you to be able to contain this new thing. They were asking about fasting. Jesus answers the question by saying the bridegroom is here. The kingdom is here. Something new is here. The old way of fasting, the old way of thinking, the old way of believing need a new context. So think with me. John the Baptist is fasting and the Jews are fasting on the Day of Atonement, those four fast days that came out of tradition, or in general when people sinned, it was a fast of repentance, it was a fast of sorrow, it was a fast of afflicting the soul. That is the primary, there were other fasts, but that was the primary understanding of the way that fasting works. And Jesus is coming along and saying, the bridegroom's here, you can't fast. But go back to verse 20. But there is a day coming when the Son of Man is taken away or when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in that day. Now there is some question over exactly what Jesus means. But it's fairly certain that what he means is my ministry on this earth is limited. I am going to be crucified. After three years of ministry, my disciples will no longer have me here in the flesh with them. And in that day they will fast. So does that mean they're going to go back to fasting the way the Day of Atonement worked? Is that what Jesus means? Or is that why he just spent all that time saying you don't put old wineskins and new wine together? Because what was the Day of Atonement? The Day of Atonement was the cleansing of sin. What was Jesus here to do? Cleanse, cleanse of sin. That's what Jesus is here to do. There is something new that is here. It's the kingdom of God that is here. You're not going to go back to fasting the way you were, but you are going to fast. Is anybody picking up where there's some like, okay, what, what, do, you, what do you mean, Jesus? Does anybody feel that with me? I need you to feel that with me because that's what I feel when I read it myself. Like, okay, Jesus, what are you trying to say? Because part of what I see in this is that there's this joy in Jesus being here. That's why they can't fast. Is Jesus suggesting that after his death and resurrection, there's no joy for the Christian? Of course not. That cannot be what Jesus means. And yet he says in verse 20, when the bridegroom's taken away, then they will fast. It's just not going to be the way that it was. 
So let's look at some examples in the New Testament here of some fasting and get try to get an idea of what's going on. Go to Acts chapter 13. I think what Jesus is simply saying, just to say as we go to Acts 13, Jesus is saying there is a unique period of time where the bridegroom is here in the flesh. No way anybody's going to fast during that. But he uses that opportunity to say, "There, I represent this new thing, this new covenant, this kingdom is now here. God is, God is fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, you were looking forward to the Messiah, but now I'm here. And now that we are in the New Testament, and now that there is a new kingdom reality and the resurrection of Jesus, and we're born again, the disciples of Christ and us are going to look back and do things like Acts chapter 13. Did I tell you the verse? Verse 2. Let's actually start with verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Two separate mentions of the word fasting. They were worshiping and fasting. They were fasting and praying. This is not the way John the Baptist's disciples were fasting. This is not the way the Pharisees were fasting. This was a fasting of people who have been changed by this new wine, this new birth, this coming of the kingdom of God. This is a fast that is seeking the Lord from a place not of sorrow, but a place of belonging to Him. This is a fast that says, Lord, we need You to do all that You've called us to do. We trust in You. That's where the worship, that's where the prayer is, is coming in. And you see what happens here as they're, as they're praying and as they're worshiping the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul. Go to Acts chapter 14. Verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This gives you an idea that in both Acts 13 and Acts 14, that fasting became a part of commissioning people. It became a part of seeking the Lord. It became a part of the lifestyle of the church. Verse 20 says in Mark chapter 2, when the bridegroom is taken away, they're going to fast. But it's not going to be in the same context of the old covenant. That's why Jesus, I believe, uses that metaphor of the wineskin and the old cloth. He's using that metaphor to say, you are going to have to think about the kingdom 
differently. You're going to have to think about the way that God is at work differently. You are going to begin to see that God is at work in the lives of believers. So what is the purpose of fasting now, even for us? I think, I think the purpose is, it is a devotion to Christ, to know Him, to know His will, and to seek His kingdom completely with all of our heart. When I, when I read what they were doing in Acts, and I read that Jesus says in Matthew 6, you don't have to turn there, it's the famous portion of Scripture where Jesus says, don't be like the Pharisees when you fast. So it's not a command, it's more like an assumption that the followers of Jesus are going to be fasting. But Jesus said during that three-year period, the bridegroom's here, there's not going to be any fasting. But then later, when the bridegroom's taken away, there will be fasting. And by the way, you can't put wine in old wineskins. He's trying to say all at once that there is a new way through the new birth, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and on the other end of that, which I am the fountainhead of it, Jesus, I am the fountainhead, I am the beginning of this new thing that is culminating the covenant of God with His people, born again, brand new in spirit, brand new in, in life and walking with Christ. But in that day you're going to fast, you're just not going to do it the way that you used to do it. You're not going to do it uh, in a sense of the affliction of the soul and repentance. You're going to be doing it in a way that is seeking God and all that He wants you to do and all that He wants you to be as you follow Him. Let me give you three things that they were doing and three things I think you and I can take away for fasting. Number one, it's worship, prayer, and fasting. When we read this in Acts 13, that means it's a devotional life. Fasting is a part of our devotional life to God. Number two, they were doing this specifically around God's will and God's direction. So another purpose in fasting for us is to seek God's will. Number three, just very simple, and it goes along with the devotional life, it's simply to know God better. David Mathis says, in fasting we are confessing that we are not yet home, and we remember that we are not homeless. We belong to God, and our hearts Really what I'm trying to say is our hearts begin to yearn for God. And fasting is a way to say no to physical hunger and yes to spiritual hunger. Now, fasting is not anybody's favorite thing. And in America, I would say that we do precious little of it. If we were to take a survey of how frequently you fast, what do you think the results would be? Everybody would be like, uh, let's move on to the next section of Scripture. Can we do that? But fasting is 
something that was assumed by Jesus, and it's something that he says that we would do after the bridegroom was taken away. This is what I want to end with. I want to encourage you to fast. I'm not, gonna, I don't, I'm not telling you it's a command, but I want to encourage you to seek God with worship and prayer and fasting in your devotional life with God. If you are in a place in your life as well where you just feel, I want more of God, I want to know who God is, a yearning for Him, fasting is something that you can do in prayer to satisfy that hunger of the soul. It's super popular. I don't recommend scheduling a fast on Thanksgiving Day to prove how spiritual you are. I think I tried to do that once. Um, I've got a little bit of Pharisee in me, like everybody else does, and wanted to prove how spiritual I was. Don't, don't try to do that. I didn't succeed, by the way. I realized about halfway through in the smell of turkey that that was the wrong day to, uh, to fast. However, fasting, prayer, worship as a part of the devotional life is something that is... It is the joyful expression of looking forward to what we're going to have in Christ and knowing Him better. So... I'm going to close with asking you all to stand up if you would. I thought it would be good to talk about fasting the week we have the church picnic. So, nobody, uh, nobody should schedule the fast during the church picnic. But as we pray, once you just say, okay, Lord, I've never really fasted, never really done it before. The way that the Jews would do it is they would fast the evening meal to the next day to the next evening meal. You could fast TV, you could fast social media, you could set aside that time to say, I'm going to set aside what I would normally be doing, eating, or normally doing on Facebook, and I'm going to spend this time seeking the Lord. I'm going to spend this time looking to Him. I'm going to spend this time worshiping, reading my Bible, praying, because I am a part of this new kingdom, this new wine, and this new life, and I want to know Him better. Let's pray. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name, and we thank You for this day. Lord, I know that fasting is not everybody's favorite. Lord, I know that part of the purpose of this text is just to say that a new kingdom reality is here. The reality that was meant from the beginning with Adam and Eve. And Jesus was that reality and is that reality. But Lord, fasting is a part of the devotional life of the church. And I pray that we would be inspired to do it. To seek you. To know you to trust in You, and to know You better than we do. Lord, we thank You for that, and we thank You that You're with us this week, and for the picnic and everything, God, we just we thank You that You are with us 
in this community of believers. Lord, we thank you for it in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Church, you are officially dismissed.